coming on the cloud. Sing it out. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. His broken hearts declare His praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? For our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb oh every knee will bow before him so open up the gates make way before the king of kings The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Come on! For our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before Him. slain for the sin of the world his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb oh every knee will bow before him can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Oh, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb
feel free to grab a seat here, guys. Happy, happy Sunday. How's everybody feeling today? All right, all right. Hey, uh, if you guys could do me a favor, if you have the North Point app, open that up and click on the image that says Let's Connect. Let's Connect. If you fill that out for us, man, we just want to stay in contact with you. We don't want to spam you. I know it's uh, like political season, and if you're like me, you get like a hundred messages all the time. I start speaking in Spanish just to throw people off, but like, I promise we're not going to sell any information. We just want to stay connected to you. So if you'll fill that out for us, that would be incredibly huge and helpful for us as well. Uh, if you are new-ish to North Point, uh, or maybe you're just hanging with us uh, until your church body gets together uh, more in person, like we, that's great. We recognize that. The church is one universal body, and we are thrilled just to get to worship together. Uh, but if you are new-ish, man, we would encourage you uh, to just go ahead and send guest NCC, a text message, guest NCC to 94090. You'll get that same form text back to you in a link, and you can fill that out. We just want to say hello, want to stay connected. Uh, if there's any incidents or anything we need to let you know about, this is the best way for us to stay connected to you as well. Uh, one of the things we do want to let you know about is this coming Friday night, we are doing an outdoor movie night. Woo! Exciting stuff, right? Here's the thing. Uh, this Friday night, starting at 6.30, we are going to have uh, kettle corn, pumpkin decorating, uh, sticker or uh, tattoos, glow, glitter tattoos, uh, all sorts of fun things, and pony rides. Like, who doesn't love pony rides, right? You guys, you guys don't love pony rides. Okay, very cool. Now we know that. Now I know. Second service loves pony rides, so I don't know what's wrong with you guys, but you know. Hey, uh, so here's the thing. We would encourage you guys, come join, hang out. Uh, we're going to start all of the activities at 6.30, the movie around 7.45 when the sun goes down. Here's what we really want you to do, though. There is somebody in your life who desperately, desperately needs to have some fun. They need to get out of the house. They need to get their kids out of the house. They need something fun going on. Invite them. Go grab a friend. Go bring them. Tag them on Facebook. Send them a phone call. Send them a phone call. Send them a text message. Give them a phone call. Bring a friend with you this Friday night. This is a great thing for people to just come, have fun, be socially distant outside, all of those things. So join us this Friday night, 630, for our outdoor movie night and games. Hey, Rick. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's The Secret Life of Pets 2. I did remember it this time. Yes, The Secret Life of Pets 2. If you haven't seen The Secret Life of Pets 1, it's a cartoon. You'll be okay. You can still see the second one, I promise. You're not going to ruin anything. It'll be all right. Uh, the last thing we want to do here is we want to worship through giving this morning. So if you have the North Point app, feel free to give on there. If you have uh, checks or cash, you can drop them off in the buckets in the back. Uh, or you can simply text the word NCC Give to 77977. This is a great way just to give worshipfully, uh, to give sacrificially and thankfully, knowing that God is the one who provides for all of our needs, and we get to give back to be a part of that. So we'd encourage you to do that this morning. Uh, you guys ready to go? All right, let's get into it. encouraged me when we ran through the service ahead of time with that music that dun, 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 that I should come out and dance. I said, no. Nah. <laughs> you, you all know much better than that. Hey, um, 
Yeah, uh, Deb said yes. Oh, silliness, silliness. Um, there, there's so much on my mind this morning, but uh, before, before we jump into the message, I would really like for us today to pray together for our nation. Um, I think, uh, let's just, let's pray. God, we come to you right now as your body, as believers, knowing that nations rise and nations fall, um, leaders rise and leaders fall, uh, knowing that there's not anything as certain as change, um, and that you are the constant. God, we come to you as your people and ask that you would guide us as a nation. That, uh, God, through this season with all the ads and all the stuff, the election and all the strife, that somehow in the midst of that, people would see you. God, my prayer, especially this morning, is for um, people who are disciples of Jesus that are running for office, that they would remain true to you and not to the pressures that, that um, are going on right now. God, I, I pray that you would be with our leaders and that you would give them a spirit of humility. Um, those running, those in office, um, doesn't matter who they are. God, that they would realize that they're not the be-all and end-all, that you are it, that you're the God of the universe. You're the God of our country. You're the God of our lives. Um, do your work in us as your people, God, to help, uh, to help uh, honor you as a nation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, uh, keep praying, keep praying about that. Um, I, I thought this morning too, just again before I jump in the message, uh, we've talked, it's been a number of weeks before, since we talked about the fact that COVID can't do a lot of things, right? COVID can't take our joy. COVID can't keep us from praying, right? Co- there's all kinds of stuff that COVID can't do. And um, so we have some t-shirts that say COVID can't on them. So, ho, good snag. Anybody over there? Ho, if you don't want it, give it back. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever, I didn't have one for the center section. Sorry about that. Uh, what, what's that? A better dance. A better dance. Oh, nah. Um, have you ever tried to look for someone in the fog? You know, in that really thick, heavy fog, I, I, in my mind, it's in a football stadium. When I, I remember playing football and looking up to try and find my mom and dad on one of those nights that it was just way foggy. And, and because of the fog, you couldn't see them. You couldn't see any distinguishing characteristics. You couldn't tell their mannerisms because the fog obscured everything. Everybody understands that image, right? You're walking, you're looking for something, and the fog's so thick that you can't really see things. This series uh, that we've called Woke, Finding Jesus in the Fog, is, is, it speaks to the reality that without Jesus, that we just live in a fog. You know, we, we, we kind of go through the motions. We can't see things clearly like God does. And that we need to look for Jesus in the middle of the fog. Our mission and our vision as a church help bring clarity. They help, they help burn off the fog, dissipate the fog. Our mission as a church is that, that um, we're here to help all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. 
all people move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus. And the vision that we've begun to embrace is, uh, is that um, everyone who calls North Point home would regularly be sharing how Jesus is working in their life in their sphere of influence. That everybody who calls North Point home would regularly be sharing how Jesus is working in their life, how Jesus is transforming their life in their sphere of influence, that, it, that the, those conversations would be natural. Um, let, me, let me give you just one quick flashback to the retreat that, that this vision kind of came out of that was back in January. We were talking about, um, about what, the, what the vision might be, what kind of uh, quantifiers, qualifiers all, all might be there. And as we talked, um, somewhere in the midst of that conversation, there was, this, there was this phrasing that came out that said, you know, what is it that we would like for North Point to be known for? And somebody said, you know, if, if everybody was talking about, if everybody was talking about how Jesus was transforming their life, that would be really cool. And if they were talking about it all the time, and that was the thing that we became known for as a church, that, that everybody was talking about that. And when they said that, I, I remember standing uh, over off on the side and said, that's the church I want to be a part of. That's what I want. I, I, someone say amen or something. Yeah, that because that, uh, everything else doesn't matter. If Jesus is changing us and we're changing the world, that's what matters. Everybody who calls North Point home regularly talking about how Jesus is changing them in their sphere of influence, you know, at work and at home. In, that, in whatever area you live in. We need, we've got to live that out. That's, that's This series, this woke series, Finding Jesus in the Fog, is designed to help us recognize that Jesus is working in our life because it's so easy for us to walk in the fog and to miss him. Um, uh, you know, this, today we're talking about finding Jesus in the routine um, we, we've talked in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about finding Jesus in the silence when it seems like God's not there, when he's way distance, distant. Last week we talked about finding Jesus in the party and celebrations, that he's the author of those celebrations. He's the one who made the parties, that Jesus designed all that. Today we're, we're talking about the routine, about just walking through life in the normal everyday stuff and recognizing Jesus and how he's working in that. Last week we talked about uh, uh, Jesus uh, doing the miracle, turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee, a little town, uh, just a little town that was near Nazareth where Jesus grew up. And if you remember at the end of John chapter 2, in that passage that we read um, last week, that uh, it finished with Jesus and his disciples going down to Capernaum and Jesus really starting his ministry at that point. Um, Jesus then uh, begins to teach, begins to do some miracles in Capernaum, and then ultimately goes to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Passover. As you read through the Gospels and put them in the chronology, Jesus takes off, goes to Jerusalem, celebrates the Passover, and then comes back to Nazareth um, really early in his ministry. And, And this is not the core passage of the message today, but this sets up the core passage. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke 4. We're going to read a relatively long passage because it sounds very similar to the passage that we're going to, that we're going to land on. But Jesus has gone to Jerusalem. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. 
He's, he's returned from Jerusalem. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everybody praised him. He went to Nazareth, that town of four or 500 people where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling that scroll, Jesus found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down to teach. The rest of everyone in the synagogue were fast, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow! Wow! All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? Jesus said to them, and then begins to almost prophesy, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And then he, then he touches on some stuff from the Old Testament, <clears throat> from Jewish history. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut, was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine through the, through the land. But Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Um, he went to a woman who wasn't a Jew. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian, again, not a Jew. Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the, cloud, through, through the crowd, maybe the cloud too. Uh, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people there. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Jesus goes back to Nazareth, the hometown boy, beginning his career as a rabbi, comes back to teach, and they try and kill him. His, that's his first visit to Nazareth. His second visit to Nazareth didn't improve much. Now go to Mark 6, and this is where we're going to land today. Five, six verses that I really want you to, to focus on, read, reread, that kind of thing. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. And let me pause just for a second and say, when Jesus comes back, this is either a year or two years later that he comes back to Nazareth. So when it says that he comes back with his disciples, it's probably not the 12 apostles that we know. He, he brings, brings a whole bunch of people who are following him, who are pursuing him, who are learning from him. It would have probably flooded the town with people. When the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that's been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. 
Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. His second visit wasn't all that much better than first because he's gone out, he has this following, he's begun to teach, he has this ministry, and he goes home and nobody can believe that he's the same guy. There was a guy when I was in high school, a guy named Greg Shepard. Um, when I was in high school, two things were really big deals for me. Choir, uh, the, the world of music and choir, and football. Those, those were the things that I was involved in. Choir was really the center of my life in, in high school. And I, I remember going into choir so many days that Greg Shepard, this guy who was a year older than me, would sit down at the piano before class started and start playing the piano. He would play some classical stuff and play it kind of okay and the thing that I always remember was that he would sit down and he was trying to work out to play the theme from Peanuts, right? Da 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 da. I can see, I can still see him, and um, and he, he was okay, you know. I think he was trying to get girls, uh, uh, you know. He he was okay, but he wasn't good enough to even accompany the choir. There was somebody else who was a much better pianist that accompanied the choir, who was younger than he was. A number of years ago, a whole bunch of years after high school, I was talking to somebody that said that they had uh, had interacted with Greg Shepard. And I learned that he got a piano performance degree from the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. If you're a musician, you understand that CCM is like one of the top five music schools in the country. It's like Juilliard, Berkeley. CCM and Indiana University, those are, those are really the top music schools in the nation. Greg had a piano performance degree from CCM, and he had spent his entire adult life traveling the world playing the piano, playing in concert halls, playing on cruise ships, doing all kinds of stuff. When I heard that, I thought, Greg Shepard? That can't be. He's the guy who hit on my sister. You know, he was the guy who was trying to play peanuts. A prophet's not, doesn't have any honor in his hometown. I dismissed him because of what I knew of him as a 16, 17, 18 year old guy. That's the way that Nazareth felt about Jesus. Jesus had grown up there. He had been there from the time that he was probably three or four years old uh, up until the time that he had started his ministry when he was, when he was roughly 30. Uh, the people of Nazareth had to think, who does, who does Jesus think he is? I remember, I, I remember when he hit his thumb with a hammer and was crying in the street. I remember scraping, you know, when he scraped his knee, you wiping the blood off his knee. I, I remember going into his shop, and there he was standing in the sawdust looking at the sunset. Yeah, that, yeah he can make a good table, but what makes him think that he could teach like a rabbi? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He had no credibility in that town, but they couldn't deny that he spoke with power. They all thought they knew the real Jesus, the Jesus that had lived there had grown up. They thought that they knew him. And what they saw when he came to minister was something completely different. They didn't really know him. They only knew just one small aspect of him. Um, 
uh, verse 2, where, where did this man get these things, they ask? What's this wisdom that's been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, uh, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? It says, and they took offense at him. The first visit to Nazareth, Jesus says, hey, look, I'm the Messiah that the prophets prophesied about. And they were ready to kill him. In between that first and second visit, Jesus' ministry had taken off. He had, he had healed multitudes of people. There had been large crowds to come hear him teach. Um, and in this second visit, there's not that angry dismissal that comes where they're trying to kill him. There's just this, this sense of dismissal of him. Something really interesting happens when you look at those two passages. The first time Jesus comes to Nazareth, they say, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph, the, the, the carpenter, isn't, isn't he Joseph's son? Um, and in the second visit, when he comes back a year or two later, they say, isn't he Mary's son? Don't miss the change in that. Jewish culture, it was all about who your father was. If um, Any Ben-Hur fans? You know, Ben-Hur. Ben was a Jewish phrase that meant son of. Uh, Judah, son of her. Judah Ben-Hur. Um, you, you'll find that in Jewish culture. Ben was the thing that said, oh, yes, this, you're the son of this person. So to say Jesus was the son of Joseph, that's what they say. Oh, yeah, he learned from Joseph. He grew up with Joseph. Yeah. When he comes back the second time, they say, isn't he Mary's son? And the, what's implied there is a question about the legitimacy of Jesus' birth. It was a slam to Jesus. Oh, yeah. Isn't this Mary's son? He's got all these brothers, but, man, his, his mom was pregnant before she was married. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you go back home People respond in all kinds of different ways. When Jordan Weber comes back to DeWitt, right, Olympic gold medalist, there are all kinds of people that say, oh, I remember her when she was doing somersaults in the park. I remember when she was walking through the halls at DeWitt High School. I remember that. And some people say, ah, Jordan Weber, she's not all that great. Yeah, she won a gold medal, but it's just Jordan, right? The haters hate, and the haters hated Jesus as well. Um, If you're living an ordinary life, it's hard to believe that someone from the exact same place that's been the same places that you have, that their life could be extraordinary. And if it looks like their life is extraordinary, it's easy to be angry about it, to say, ah, no, they're not not that great. You've heard the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. It was true of Jesus with the people of Nazareth. Familiarity, being familiar with Jesus, made them angry, and it made them not believe. Familiarity breeds um, contempt and unbelief. There's a danger for us in being so familiar with the things of Jesus that they become routine or mundane. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because I know it's lots of people. Many of you have grown up in the church you, were, you, you started coming to church when you were, you know, knee-high to a grasshopper from, from the time that you were born. And you've become so familiar with the things of Jesus and what the Bible teaches that it has just become routine and mundane. You think you know 
how Jesus is going to act and react in your life. And so you say, oh, this is what Jesus does. That's what he's done for the last 10 years or 20 years or 50 years or 70 years, whatever it is. And we put Jesus in that box and put him on the shelf. There's two possibilities that exist if that's the life that we're living. One is that we never really knew Jesus. If we could put him in a box and put him on the shelf. One one option is that we never really knew him. The second option is that we may have put Jesus in that box and it's guaranteed that Jesus is going to blow the ends out of both sides of the box. Because Jesus cannot be contained by our understanding of him. He is the son of God. There's a danger, there's a danger if you've been around Christianity for a long period of time to just make Jesus routine and just a normal part of stuff and to not expect him to do something spectacular, to not expect him to do the supernatural. That's what, that's what happened in Nazareth, right? Um, uh, Nazareth is amazed at Jesus' teaching, but Jesus is amazed at their unbelief. If you look at that passage, if you're in the North Point app, if you're looking in your Bible, if you look down through those verses up in verse 2 or 3, it says that, that they were amazed at Jesus' teaching. They marveled at his teaching. And in the beginning of verse 6, it says Jesus marveled. He was amazed at their unbelief. What's crazy is I think that the people of Nazareth were oblivious to the fact that it was their unbelief that kept Jesus from doing the miracles. It was their unbelief that kept Jesus from doing the things that, that were so spectacular, that were so beyond anything that they could comprehend. Um, why couldn't Jesus do miracles in Nazareth? It wasn't, it wasn't that he lost his power. It's not like he walks in the synagogue and they put kryptonite on his chest, right? And so, you know, he, he, he loses his ability to do that. Not that at all. Their, their unbelief limited what Jesus could do. And I don't, know, I don't know exactly how that worked, but I think probably that their unbelief made them not ask Jesus to do anything supernatural. To not ask him to do something that was beyond their comprehension. There's an incredible lesson for us in that. If we're walking through life and Jesus has become routine for us, is it any wonder that he's not doing the spectacular in our lives? Because our belief is limiting what he can do. Our ability to ask him to work in incredible ways in our life limits his ability to respond. Nobody believed in Nazareth, and so no one was healed. Let me, let me pause just for a second, because I, I think when you read Scripture, sometimes there are things that are incredibly funny, and I think that there's something really, really funny in verse 5 and 6. Um, in verse 5, uh, it says, Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people, a few sick people, and heal them. Jesus couldn't do any miracles there, okay, because of their unbelief. Except a few. A few he healed. L- like, if I healed a few people, you guys would go, that's incredible, right? Yeah, it's, do you understand the, the um, nuance that there, that's there, the subtlety? that I, I just think it's really interesting. Jesus still could heal. 
but it was just a few because of their unbelief. Um, Here's the question. Do you think that Jesus has the power to change your job? Do you think Jesus has the power to change your marriage? Do you think Jesus has the power to change your depression? Do you think Jesus has the power to change your finances, your parenting, your home life? Do you think Jesus has the power to protect you from COVID-19? Do you think Jesus has the power to, if you get COVID-19, to walk with you through that journey? Go. You go. Thank you, back row. Um, (laughs) Jesus couldn't do miracles because of their unbelief. Man, our belief needs to grow. In psychology, there's a term called normalization. It, it says that whatever your experience is, you expect everybody else has had that same experience. You normalize um, your behavior, your experience, whatever it is. So um, if you're a Major League Baseball player, you think, oh, yeah, lots of people try, but most everybody I know is a Major League Baseball player, so that's normal life. You know, if you're making uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you think that's normal. On the other hand, if you're making $20,000 a year, you think those people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, that that they're abnormal, they're really weird, that that our experience is normal. Normalization. Um, It's easy to normalize what God has done in our life in the past to make it routine, to forget about the spectacular nature of the way that God has worked in our lives. And so here's my next question for you this morning. What spectacular has God done in your life? Think for a second. And, and while there are things that, are years, that happened years ago, The question is, what has God done that's spectacular in your life? Certainly, if you know Jesus and have been saved from a life of sin, if you've you've experienced that kind of transition, that's a huge piece. But I think if you've been walking with him at all, God has jumped in and done spectacular things. Um, I don't have have time to go there this morning, but in my notes, I I have seven things that just in an instant... Um, I was able to write down and think through God has done spectacular things in our lives. In, uh, in 2011, Deb, Deb had a, had a uh, condition called um, chemical sensitivities, in, in, uh, environmental illness. Stuff that was in the air, chemicals, made her sick, like to the point that she couldn't do anything. She went to the elders of the church the, where we were they, and asked them to lay her hands on her and pray for her. And they did, and she was healed. Like, she, she was, it stopped. It stopped. Spectacular stuff. Many of you who have been around know four years ago, our, our daughter was pregnant with Sylvie. Omphalocele, she had an omphalocele in the womb. Her liver and part of her kidneys and stuff was outside of her body. Most kids don't survive birth that experience that. Sylvie was born 
and survive. Most kids who have a major omphalocele like that, it's uh, a year or more before they're able to close that up, close up the skin, and, and they can have any kind of life. Sylvie's skin closed up three weeks after she was born. Um, that, yeah, lots of you were praying. Um, you know, that's spectacular stuff, but you know what it's really easy to do? It's really easy to walk and say, oh yeah, that happened, that's normal. Yeah, God can do anything. And to forget those things. It's, uh, when God does spectacular stuff in your life, um, you, can, you, can, um, you can dismiss it, you can ignore it completely. Um, you, can, you, can, uh, you, can, you can rationalize it away, you can rewrite history, or you can just forget about it. And so the question, the third question that's really there today for us is what will it take, what will it take for us to see Jesus in the routine of our lives? What will it take for that to happen? Um, you know, it may, be, it may be something that you take initiative on. I, I want to encourage you. If, if your relationship with Jesus, if it's just become routine... I would encourage you to take a step to do something to get out of that routine and to begin to see Jesus in normal everyday life. Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's to, it's to make a decision today to say, I'm going to tithe. Because you know that if you tithe, if you give 10% of your income back to God, that it's going to radically change your life. And you're going to have to have Jesus to make it through that. It may be, it may be that that. A step that you can take is to say, you know what? I'm going to tell my friend what Jesus is doing in my life. I'm going to take that step to talk about Jesus and my faith. Because I've never done that before. And I realize that that could cause that friendship to blow up. Um, but I don't want to. I want it because Jesus is my best friend. There are steps that you can take. Maybe the step that you need to take is to forgive someone who has destroyed your life in the past. That you need to let go of that hurt. That's something that you can begin to see Jesus in the routine and it will change everything. Maybe the, maybe the challenge for you is to begin to go serve someplace where you're incredibly uncomfortable, like you're, it's so out of your comfort zone. Because when you do that, you'll begin to see Jesus working in you and Jesus working in the people around you. Maybe it will take an earthquake to change your routine. Sometimes God does that. There are events in our lives that change everything, that shake us to the core. What will it take for you to see Jesus in the routine? How do you find Jesus? How do you find Jesus in the fog? You know, I, I, it's, it's really funny. <laughs> when I was walking in this morning, I parked down at the far end of the lot down there, and I'm walking in, and, and I was thinking, I wonder what we're going to have for lunch today. Yeah, you know, what we're going to do. Anybody been there to do that? Some of you are thinking that right now, right? What are we going to have for lunch today? And I thought, and, and, and the message is on my mind, and I'm thinking, why am I not thinking, God, what do you have for me today? What do you want me to see in the auditorium, in the, in the atrium, in the interactions I have with people? What is it that you have just waiting for me to open up my eyes and see? That's the question for all of us. How do, how do you find Jesus in the fog? How do you get woke? Um, let me just give you three things, and I'm, I'm going to flesh these out um, in a, a future message because uh, 
because I really want to spend some time on this. The, the first is this. Look for Jesus. Just look for Jesus. Change your focus off the stuff that's normal and look for Jesus. The second thing is to know Jesus, to recognize his voice, his work, his heart. How do you do that? By reading his word, by, by, by talking to him, not just at mealtime and not just when you go to bed or when you first wake up, not just when you do your quiet time. It's by talking to him all the time. When you have a, when you have a conversation, an ongoing conversation with, with Jesus, all of a sudden your perspective changes and you begin to see him working in all kinds of different areas of your life. The third thing is this. Look for Jesus. Know Jesus. Depend on the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Spend some time saying, God, open my eyes. Help me to see what you have for me. Um, in Matthew 12, Jesus Jesus uh, describes Jesus teaching and Mary and the brothers and the sisters all come to Jesus and they're actually kind of embarrassed by him. He's drawn lots of attention to himself and somebody comes and says to Jesus, um, hey, your mother, your brothers, they're here, they want your attention. And Jesus says, who are my brothers? Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Those who do my will want to be part of Jesus' family, you want to see him work, you've got to pursue him. You've got to follow him. That's what it's all about. You want to find Jesus in the fog? Recognize him and pursue him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, and we thank you for the wake-up call that we have this morning. Lord, the the opportunity that we have to begin to look for you in our normal everyday life. God, may we find you at our desk at work. May we find you at the counter at Meyer. May we find you as we walk in the park, as we interact with neighbors, when we walk our dogs. God, may we find you when we're, um, when we're online. Help us to see Jesus. the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will Your praise, our hearts 
will cry, these bones will sing. So we pour 